0: amen amen you can have a seat and grab a bible i'm gonna grab a pulpit i'm gonna try not to throw it on the floor go to ecclesiastes chapter 10 if you don't mind we got some work to do we got some work to do in ecclesiastes chapter 10 we're going to try to get it done in 30 minutes or less like a good pizza those of you that believe I can do that should probably order pizza for lunch now because we'll be here till two. Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've had a frog in my throat for like the last half an hour. It's going to drive me nuts. So, quick recap where we are at, so I can set us up, so we can. We're going to sprint this morning. I'm warning you. We're going to sprint this morning. So, um, so, so you know the story of Ecclesiastes is is King Solomon is at this place where he's looking all around him at the world around him, trying to make sense of what's happening and what doesn't happen and. What he continues to say is it's like we're living this life under the sun and there's something broken here, which is remarkable to hear from a man named Solomon because this Solomon character has got every resource known to man. And so he could invest any monies that he wanted, any relationships he wanted to get what he wanted at any time that he wanted it. And as he looked at life from every angle, from every indulgence that he could possibly have gone after, from wisdom to possessions to big projects, to relationships, to sexuality, to the finest foods and the finest wines, to to wealth and riches. As he looked at all those things, at the very end, he has said, if you are trusting in any of those to give you satisfaction, you're going to find out it feels like you're chasing the wind. And if you continue to pursue those things, you're going to have emptiness, nothing to show for it. So here's the problem. You and I are champion wind chasers. We find every reason to chase the wind, every excuse to chase the wind, and we do it with aggression and gusto. You know why? Because we are fools. Okay, so let's get the awkward out of the way. I want everybody, raise your hands up in the air. Everybody. If your hands are raised, you're a fool. If your hand's not raised, you're a rebellious person and you just need Jesus, so we'll deal with that too. <clears throat> This chapter really is about foolishness. And I just want to make sure you understand, there is not a single one of us who's not found in this chapter. So as we walk through this, this chapter really is about all of us. And we need to aggressively identify foolishness in our life. Why? Look at the very first verse of chapter 10. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink. So a little folly outweighs wisdom. And honor, that's a weird thing that we don't really understand in today's culture. But what he's saying is, is back in the day they had the the perfume. And the perfume wasn't like, you know, a little, ah, it was oil. So it was this oil mixed with these precious fragrances. And it was gone through a certain process and it was incredibly expensive. It was used for a number of things like anointing priests and kings as they came into office. It was used to anoint the guests at your dinner table um, when you were eating with the wealthy. It was a luxury. These perfumes were looked at as luxurious, but they had to be well protected when they were being both made and stored because they were very, it was very easy for them to go bad. And one of the ways they would go bad often was a fly would drop into the mixture. And over time, the fly would die. And then Soon, what happens, it's a very interesting thing that happens, is originally the fly started smelling like the perfume, and after time, the perfume began smelling like the fly. And it's just one little fly can mess up the entire thing. It's like, so these guitars, I'm not going to touch them, Mike. Don't worry, man. <clears throat> these guitars each have six strings on them. I just got to play with one of them. One string. If I crank that little tuner thing just a couple of turns it changes the way the entire guitar sounds, right? If you have a huge choir, and one guy named Frank in it, (laughs) who while he may not have skill, he has volume, and that one voice is either just a little out of tune or just off beat enough, it can affect the entire choir. Just like one act of foolishness can wipe out a lifetime of wisdom. One act of foolishness can destroy a family. Forget ruin a reputation. It can destroy a family in one moment of foolishness. One moment of foolishness can scar the cause of Christ beyond repair for a number of years. That's why uh, just the verse in front of this, the end of chapter 9, verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much good. And so as fools, we need to be on guard, looking for ways that foolishness is creeping into our lives so that when we see it, we can kill it. We can murder the foolishness, because if we don't, it's going to ruin so much good. The difficulty with this is found in verse 2. A wise person's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart goes to the left. Now, a little aside, I have no idea how the Republican Party hasn't grabbed that verse. (laughs) I mean, that thing's like, hey, is he in Bibles. So, this does not say Solomon was a Republican, okay? <laughs> it's not what this is saying. In this time, the walking to the right meant the side of skill and strength and protection. The left meant disfavor, ineptitude, moronicness. That's my word that I added. It means you're going astray. The left is moral perverseness. And it says that that the difficulty as fools is that everything in us continues to drift that way. Everything in us continues to drift towards foolishness. It's just in us. And it's like, and it's one of my favorite verses growing up Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. As a dog returns to his vomit, you love that picture first thing in the morning. But as a dog returns to his vomit, because they do, so too does a fool return to his folly. We just continue to drift that way. We continue to drift that way. So what we are finding this morning is we must identify the areas in our lives that mark us as a fool. We must mortify them, and we must be aggressive about it because we are naturally going to continue to drift towards our foolishness. So what are some of the identifying features (laughs) of a fool? Verse 3. Even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense, and he shows everybody he is a fool. A fool will constantly show just how foolish he is. The fool walking in the middle of Route 140, you can tell that there's something not quite right there. And what you see is they, they're both willing to show everybody how foolish they are. They're both so very arrogant, thinking all the traffic is going to revolve around them. They're just going to be like, hey, it's me. Here I am. Or, I, I, I didn't get to see it this weekend, but I'm, I'm assuming at the Nationals parade, a few fools showed up. That seems to be the breeding ground for foolishness. Um, and you get people climbing up light poles. In Boston, when we would win a championship, it happened all the time. There would be constant stories of the fools. I know Boston fools. I get it. Just let it go. But you have these, these people standing on these, the, the, the traffic lights, and they'd be like, hey, we won, we won. Why does that mean you have to stand up there Other than you're a moron and you know what happens next, right? A quick visit to the ER. But a fool doesn't think that way. A fool thinks they're indestructible. A fool thinks I can do whatever I want to do and it will never affect me. Hey, look at me. It's me. Verse four the ruler's anger rises against you. You don't leave your post. Her calmness puts great offenses to rest. A fool gets huffed up easily. In arrogance, responds, and in this particular situation, he's talking about a supervisor's anger towards him. Y- 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 I'm not putting up with this, no. That supervisor's angry with me, and he wouldn't listen to me, so watch this. and he, You tear off from your post, you go to your desk, you get your little cardboard box, and you stuff all your little belongings in there, and you stomp out and slam the door shut, and it feels so good, doesn't it? And what he says is, that's foolishness. And not to mention, it really stinks when you have to walk back in the office because you forgot your stapler or something. <laughs> Poor Marvin. The anger of the supervisor who is coming down on you at work is rooted in the same arrogance that you demonstrate when you stomp off a job because the supervisor didn't respect your opinion. Wisdom says we need calmness, perseverance, and humility. Proverbs twenty-five, fifteen says, Rulers can be persuaded through patience and a gentle tongue and break a bone. Are you a fool? Are you quick to get hot-tempered and stomp off? Verse 5. There's an evil that I have seen under the sun, an error proceeding from the presence of the ruler. The fool is appointed to great heights, but the rich remain in lowly positions. I've seen slaves on horses, the princes walking on the ground like Slaves, there's a number of ways to look at these three verses, but I want to make sure that I point this out. This isn't just talking about modern political situation. There have been fools in government for throughout history, 3,000 plus years. And the picture that he's painting here is that what fools do when they become a leader is fools will then elevate other fools to higher positions of authority than they deserve. And so a fool will surround themselves with yes-men. No matter how crazy it is for that person to get that job who has no experience, no integrity, no character, and yet they have been elevated beyond their means. Why? Why does it happen? I heard a pastor say this, and it's absolutely true. Fools run in herds. When you look throughout history and you see Fools being elevated to the highest positions. And you look through history. In fact, you don't even have to look very far. You look at our modern culture today. And what we have done as a people is elevated fools. I'm not even talking politically. We're more concerned about the guy who who can uh, market a business well or sell a certain number of cars. We're more concerned uh, about the person who is popular or famous or who can turn a quick dollar instead of the person who's made up of integrity and character and loves and follows Jesus Christ. As a people, we are fools when we honor fools around us. Verse 8. The one who digs a pit may fall into it. The one who breaks through a wall might be bitten by a snake. The one who quarries stones may be hurt by them. The one who splits logs may be endangered by them. The axe is dull and one doesn't sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. The, the, what, what he's saying here is this. Hard work does not always equal success. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying don't work hard. We've already talked about whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Work hard, but don't mistake hard work for success. What he's saying here is, say I'm out there and, 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 and Oops, I turned the page, Turn the page. I dig a pit. I've been digging pits for 30 years. All it takes is one misstep, and into the pit you go. You break down a rock wall. I'm working hard. I'm working hard. I'm working hard. Here comes a snake. It's done, right? Then then you continue. The one who quarries stones. I'm picking up stones, and and then what happens? It falls on you. It kills you. You, you, You're splitting logs, and all of a sudden, you you get one stuck on your axe, and you bring it up over your head, and it goes up in the air, and hits you between the eyes, and it's all over. Yeah, work hard. That's fantastic, but understand, working hard does not mean success. The fool will swing an axe a hundred times, never sharpen it, but he's working hard. Like the golden rule of carpentry. I have a different golden rule than most people. The golden rule of carpentry is measure twice, cut once. Mine is don't put your finger there. Um, I still haven't learned that yet, but... Now, listen, I don't want to remove the call to hard work because we do need to work hard, but hard work doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success? Wisdom. However, when you get wisdom and don't use it, that's a disaster. Look at verse 11. The snake bites before it is charmed, and there's no advantage for the charmer. So here's the picture. Imagine, if you will, Billy has decided he wants to go to the school of snake charming. He has done all his work, all his homework. He has excelled in all the term papers. He, in fact, has been invited back for the master's program. He is uh, sitting underneath the the, the greatest snake charmers in the history of snake charming. He is learning all of their techniques, how to toot the whistle or whatever the thing is. He he knows exactly where to go, where not to go, how to do it, how not to do it. He has got all this knowledge in his head. And he walks into the middle of the city and people have gathered from miles and miles around to watch Billy charm the snake. Sounds like a kid's book. So Billy walking in, and he's got his basket with the deadliest snake he could find in it. And he sets it down in the, the middle of the street, and he's like, ah, ah, All right, everybody. Just you stand back, and don't have anything to do. And he turns his back on the snake. The snake slowly sneaks out of the basket and starts knocking people out left and right around the snake. Meanwhile, Billy's still like ah. I got this. Don't everybody worry. Don't worry about if he didn't remember to charm the snake, what good is it that he did all that time in school? The unapplied wisdom leads to disasters. So let me go serious, but but not necessarily super spiritual application first. You know what you are and are not supposed to eat. That diet that the doctor has put you on doesn't matter if you have it written out and in your kitchen. If you ignore it, the exercise plan you ignore or the plan to ignore your exercise plan after January 1st, the budget you don't live by, you have a budget, that's awesome. Unapplied wisdom is a disaster. The Bible reading plan, you just glance over, it's on your desk every day, you just don't crack open the Bible, the prayer journal. It sits on your nightstand underneath a layer of dust. You know what you should be doing, just not doing it. So that wisdom is useless. That's foolish. Um, just a little aside, and I won't be super aggressive about this, but just throw it out there. Many fools know theology better than anybody else, but it never changes their hearts. That's the ultimate in disaster. Look at verse 12, <clears throat> the words <coughs> excuse me, the words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words from his mouth is folly, but the end of his speaking is evil madness, yet the fool multiplies words. No one knows what will happen, and who can tell anyone what will happen after him? What he's saying is when, when wisdom speaks, it's to the advantage of other people, it gives grace and speaks life. But when the fool speaks, it takes. It's consuming. When the donor gives, it gets what he wants. And the other, <clears throat> excuse me, sign <coughs> of a fool is that they just don't stop talking. Solomon says it's the multiplication of words. What you get as a picture as you look at the book of Proverbs is that the fool doesn't listen. He may appear that he's listening, but he doesn't listen. He just shakes his head every once and again to seem like he's involved and might grunt a little. "Mm -hmm, mm, mm." But he's simply waiting for there to be enough silence so he can share his incredible opinion with everybody around him. And the fool doesn't just expect to be able to speak, he expects that every Person will listen and every person will do as he thinks should be done because he is he. And the fool just keeps on talking, doesn't stop talking until he stops talking and he looks around and he realizes that nobody's left. Because the fool is isolated and is alone. They have no relationships in their lives except for the obligatory ones. Why? Because you're a fool who hasn't learned to be quick to listen and slow to speak. You do know that Jesus never told his disciples to speak more. He told them to listen. And people walk away when they see a fool coming. Because people know it's better to hang out with a mama bear who's been robbed of her cubs than to hang out with a fool in his foolishness, Proverbs 17 tells us. So examine your life. You a fool? Very quickly, 15 Verse 15, Um, I'll read this translation. I'll give you a a better translation that communicates it a little better. The struggles of fools weary them, for they don't know how to go to the city. A better translation of that is the effort of fools weary those who don't know how to go to the city. The idea of that verse is when somebody pulls over and asks for directions, and the guy they're asking is like, I have no idea. I'm just going to wing it. You know how irritating that is? If that's you, repent. (laughs) Repent. I've had that happen to me more. Now, GPS is a beautiful thing, and that has helped a great deal. But I've had that happen to me. My password's like, I have no idea where I am. There's this guy. Hey, man, can you help me out? Sure, no problem. What you going to do is you're going to go up, hang a left, hang a right, hang a left. And it's like, now I am an hour and a half away from where I want to be. Thank you. The fool is a disgrace to those who are depending on him. Vinegar to the eyes, smoke, sorry, smoke to the eyes, vinegar to the teeth. It's like a broken bone or a bone out of joint when you're trusting in somebody who is foolish. Verse 18, I only got one thing to say about this for time's sake. Because of laziness, the roof caves in. Because of negligent hands, the house leaks. In a nutshell, verse 18 says, if you own a home and don't own a hammer, get on your knees and repent. Fix the things that are wrong in your home. A fool instead will just slough it off and take a nap. Nineteen. A feast is prepared for laughter. Wine makes life happy. And money is the answer for everything. I was planning on skipping that verse at one point because that was a money. Okay. I hope you all know what that means because I don't. I've read this verse and prayed about it and read other people. And and here's kind of where, first of all, you got to acknowledge this Solomon likes a good party. I mean, this is probably the seventh or eighth time Solomon's been like, yeah, in the feast, they're awesome. Good food, good wine, good friends, yay. And and I'm all about that. But then he throws in this thing at the end, but money is the answer for everything. I think we have to be careful not to get lost in that. I'm pretty sure what Solomon's saying based on things he says elsewhere, he's not saying money is the answer like it saves you. What he's saying is money is the answer to these other things, like the feasts and the, and, and, and the laughter and the, the, the good wine and the good food. Money is the most versatile of all of them. I think what he's saying is when you go to a wedding, give money. <laughs> My wife and I, I still remember. In usual circumstance, we had to invite uh, a very large church, the entire church, to our wedding. and So people came to our wedding. We didn't know them. Um, but they brought gifts, so it was okay. Um, so they... They came and I remember sitting in her parents' basement when we got back from our honeymoon and just kind of opening up stuff. And it's like, it's like Christmas on steroids. I mean, it's crazy, right? And I'll uh, share my one favorite story. Is we got a little shirt box, you know, those little foldable boxes, shirt box. And, and we picked that one up and you get it. And it's, like, clink, 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 clink. it's like something's in here. That's kind of weird. And we, and we're like, I wonder what that is. And we opened it up and you know those little <laughs> rubber spatulas? Thanks. But the other thing that happened is we must have gotten, and I'm probably exaggerating this, eight different crystal type serving plates. And out of the eight, nine of them were hideously ugly. Now, now what do I need eight serving plates for? Tell you what, give me one plate, sell the other seven, then I'll have something to put on that one plate life will be good. What he's saying is money is the most versatile of all of these gifts. And when you think about money, this is a very interesting verse. If you want to write this down and read it later, Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Jesus is speaking and he says, use your worldly wealth, use your money, and I'll put it in a Frankism, to purchase friends. Because then you're in their life and you have it up. So he's saying, no, the money isn't, don't bribe them. Will you be my friend? How about a 20? <laughs> he doesn't say that. He's saying, but, but you use that thing that God has given you, the worldly wealth, to invest it in relationships around you because that's where real change and impact can happen in their lives. See, we need to stop looking at money as this thing we never talk about, as this thing we're, we're concerned about. We need to look at money as something we need to be responsible for. We need to look at money as, the, as for what it is. It, it's one of God's good gifts. And for some of us, he's given us more than others. But he hasn't given it to you to just splurge on yourself. He's given it to you to serve other people with. We, we, we look at these gifts, the, the laughter, the feast, the wine, even the money, And what Solomon's saying is God's gifts are good. They're given to us so we can enjoy them, so we can invest them, but not so that we love and worship the gifts. We enjoy the gifts while we love and worship the one who gave us the gifts. Enjoy the food, but don't worship it or that becomes gluttony. Enjoy the finances, but don't worship it or it becomes materialism or misering. Fools don't enjoy those gifts. They obsess over them. Are you a fool? Finally, verse 20. Don't curse the king even in your thoughts. Don't curse a rich person even in your bedroom. For a bird of the sky may carry the message, and a winged creature may report the matter. A fool is one that is filled with artificial courage. Artificial courage. And I, and I think there's, there's two, maybe three different principles he's pointing here. First, first thing is this. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this. This is the, Really what he's saying is when, when you're talking in your bedroom by yourself and a bird carries what you said to the ear of the king, that's you getting busted. And I don't know about you, but, but I can say good things and the right people never hear them. At the moment, I say a bad thing. Right? I mean, I slam my finger in the house and the little kids hear every word that comes out of my mouth. But they can't hear me say, go brush your teeth. Artificial courage. The fool won't deal with those he has conflict with. The fool won't deal with those he has conflict with. Instead, he goes into his dark and quiet bedroom and screams into a pillow. you have a problem with somebody, you go talk to them about it. The other application of this is is either they go into their bedroom and scream into a pillow or or they begin to gossip about the problem that they have with people. I got asked this this week. So what's a sign of of gossip? I'm not sure if this is gossip. If you feel like you need to stop your conversation when that person walks in, it's gossip. Oh, so I should just stop my conversation then? No, you should stop your conversation and in front of everybody go, dude, I am sorry, we ended up gossiping. Please forgive me. The artificial courage to gossip. the artificial courage to go into your chamber and scream into your pillow. And that's what fools are filled with. Foolishness at its core is atheism. uh, Sorry, Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I have no one to serve but myself. I have no authority, I have no accountability, I get to do whatever I want because there is no God. Now what's interesting is there are a number of people sitting here today who would pass a lie detector test and not be considered atheists and yet they live a life of atheism. Because they live a life that never considers what God considers. Foolishness is disobedience to and disregard of the God who created you, who loves you, and who sustains you. And that foolishness separates you from God. No matter what you've tried to do about it, you can't narrow that gap of the separation between you and God, no matter how hard you tried. It's just like you're chasing the wind. There's a message of good news, though. The interesting thing is, is in this world, this broken world that we find ourselves in, this message of good news appears to be foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1 speaks of it. It speaks of this baby that was born in Bethlehem, this baby who grew up and lived a sinless life, and he kept all the works of the Father by doing all of the law exactly as it needed to be done as a spotless lamb. Now this man died on the cross as a sinless man, and by his death and by the shedding of his blood, he makes provision for us and our sins, and he enables us to be made right with God. That separation is eliminated. And what's crazy is to the wise, that sounds foolish because when you hear that you just need to trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, your thought goes to, yeah, but what do I need to do? Where's the work I need to put in? What sacrifices do I need to bring? What heroic deeds do I need to do? And God says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are chasing the wind. First Corinthians 1, he says, I am going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. So bring on the scholars, find me the wise man. God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. And how has he done that? In the craziest way, First Corinthians 1 says, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. God was pleased through the foolishness of my preaching this morning not through what I did, not through my passion, not through my enthusiasm, not through my rugged good looks, not through my preparation, not through the amount of prayer that I did, not through any of the study I did, not through any of those things. But through his power, he wants to demonstrate his wisdom, strength, and ability to save those. And he does that through the very preaching of his word. And that makes so little sense from our perspective. I mean, why would would God pursue me with such a great love. there are so many reasons that God shouldn't have wasted his love on me. Yet he did without care, without concern about what it looked like. And throughout history, it's been called, his love has been called a number of things. It's been called scandalous, that God would continue to love the runaway bride that we are. It's been called reckless. However you refer to it, we celebrate that unimaginable and immeasurable love that God demonstrated for us while we were still sinners. So what should you do? God promises us that he will bring a rescue, a salvation to anybody who cries out to him from his heart. This morning, cry out, God, I am so foolish. Give me your Wisdom to see and to follow your truth. Jesus, I am so foolish. I refuse to listen to anyone, and I need your grace so I can see and follow your truth. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Do bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I'm going to ask you, don't put your Bibles away, though. Don't put your Bibles away. Just as we sit in silence, I'm going to encourage you to just take a moment to consider what the Holy Spirit is pressing and impressing on your heart this morning where you might need to repent, confess your sins. Lord, I thank you for your mercy towards us fools. I thank you that you love us, that you've demonstrated that love, sending us your son, Jesus Christ. I pray for the soul of the one who might be here this morning who doesn't know Christ, may they bow the knee. May they trust in Jesus. Let me, let me encourage you, please. Take your Bibles. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I want to look at that one small story just before as we prepare to, to observe communion together. picture is the same. He's still, Solomon is still talking about foolishness, but it's fascinating how he lays this out. Look at verse 13, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Solomon says, I have observed that this also is wisdom under the sun, and it's significant to me. It was a small city with a few men in it. A great king came against that small city, surrounded it, and built large siege works against it. Now a poor wise man was found in the city, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. And I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. So As you hear that story of this very small city with just a few people in it being attacked by this, this large place with great king leading over it and building sieges against it, ready to to overthrow that small city, and you sense the helplessness of the people in that small city, and yet in this moment, we don't have all the details, we just know that all of a sudden, out of the midst of this very small city, came this very poor but wise man. And we don't know what it is that he did, but in some way, he was able to deliver the city by his wisdom. He was able to to rescue those who were being oppressed by the enemy that was coming in on them. Who's the fool in this story? Fools are the ones who didn't remember where their deliverance came from. They forgot this poor, wise man after the deliverance had been given to them. I mean, after all, it's in that man, and in that man alone they have their lives. There should be parades. There should be a holiday for him. They should name their cities after him, and yet they forgot him. Because fools forget what's been done for them. Fools live a life that is totally unaffected by their rescue. So the fool is the one who is saved by a lifeguard after being dragged out by the undertow and after being brought to shore, jumps back in the same undertow. That's a fool, unaffected by the rescue. A fool is the one who barely survives falling off of his roof doing a repair and yet climbs right back up on top of that roof to do the exact same thing the exact same way. The fool is the one who is brought back to life after an overdose and yet keeps on using. The fool is the one who is unaffected by the rescue that's been given to them. How much more foolish would we be if we forgot the rescue of Jesus Christ in our lives? And that's why we observe communion together. It's commanded so that you and I will never forget what it is that Jesus Christ did for us, that you and I would never forget the rescue. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Only a fool would forget that. And so this morning, as we take time in our service to observe communion together, to look at this picture that Jesus left for us, the, the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ, this morning, as we take the time out of the service to do just that, may we remember the rescue. May we remember what grace really looks like. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'll ask that if you would leave your aisle or your row on the right, come to the front and receive the elements. Bring them back to your seat and then we will take communion together. Father, thank you for the rescue we have in Christ. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the unimaginable, immeasurable love that we continue to to wash in, to bathe in and to celebrate. Thank you that you have pursued us and you have drawn us and thank you that it is finished. God, forgive us for forgetting. May today be the day we remember. For it's in Jesus' great, matchless name I pray. Amen.